Hey, I'm Michael Dorinda. And I'm Jake Bennett. And welcome to episode 108 of the North Meet Southwear podcast. So, Michael, before we started the show, you were commenting on my choice of headwear today. So if you happen to be tuning in to the live stream, which maybe, maybe, you know, all one of you that's watching this on the live stream, you will uh, get to see my ugly beanie, as Michael calls it. And uh, I will tell you exactly what I told him, which is that I am wearing this beanie not for style or not for uh, aesthetic, but for comfort because I am cold and my head. So like, here's the weird thing for me. Like, I feel like if I put like a hat on at some point during the day, I have to keep it on because as soon as I take it off, my head is freezing cold. So it's like, oh. yeah, well, yeah. What? Well, so you, you have a different explanation. Hair goes so everywhere. Like, hair goes everywhere. Well, yeah, that too. <laughs> I do have a, like a regular baseball cap I could wear, but no, man, it's like, if I put this hat on, like it's so warm that I just can't take it off. And so it is, mm-hmm. it is not time for bed yet. So I have still got this hat on. And if you, you know, again, if you're on the live stream, you'll notice it's like very, you know, long on top of my head. Uh, it's because I'm using my AirPods. And if you've ever tried to put something over top of your AirPods, you know, like one of two things is going to happen. It's either going to be painful because they're like jamming in your ears now, mm. or it's like really scratchy if you've got like transparency mode on it because it's like trying to listen with the microphone on the outside and push that through and like your hat's all scratchy up on it. So, yeah, you know, it just doesn't, I'm over it, right? Like who am I trying to impress here, right? We're, we're, we're friends here. We're friends here. I can just right. I can just do whatever. It doesn't matter. So thanks for uh, thanks for bearing with me, everybody out there in user land watching along again. All anyone, of you. anyone that's watching anyone that's watching the stream or happens to catch this later, I apologize that I'm sniffling in advance. It ah. won't, won't be in the audio version because it'll get cut out. But I've got the hay fever. He's back again. Ah, viciously, so it's just and, and again sniffling. And then I, I, I sprayed this stuff up my nose okay. to sort of make it stop. And that's just made it run more. Yeah. Yep. And I went grocery shopping this morning and I had, so I had the mask on, but the mask was pinching the top of my nose. So it's just like <laughs> dripping inside my mask. Oh, gosh. Oh, man. It's just That's annoying. fun times. Yes. Um, and, and also for those of you who are American listeners who don't understand this because I didn't, hay fever is what they call what we say are allergies. And Michael has explained previously it doesn't make sense that you would call them allergies because that could be allergies to all sorts of different things, right? It's like you have like a peanut allergy. Is that what's going on? Like, no, it's not that. It's like hay fever, allergies with like pollen and whatnot. So hay mm-hmm. fever, for those of you who are uninitiated, it's not that Michael's like out cutting hay in a field and getting really <laughs> like messed up with hay. Although that would make it worse. Yeah, yeah. Probably. Probably. It's uh, it's allergy season and Mr. Dorinda is Got the sniffles along with some of your family members, right? So poor. Yes, hey. well, they re re had to go and get a is that changing the get seasons? another COVID test. Yeah, it's yeah. like just... oh, no, re had to go and get another COVID okay. test because uh, she was she was negative. She's I think this is the third time this year she's had laryngitis, which is like you know, three infections. So. Got to catch up with all that but, uh, all the stuff she didn't get sick with the last two years, I suppose, right? Yeah, I feel like that's I'm, what's I'm a little bit kids. concerned because. Yeah, I'm a little bit concerned because if they all get sick, like Re and the kids, there's like one after the other, right. but all three of them are sick at the same time. So my body can cope with like one after the other, but all three at the same time is a bit much. Yeah, you're going to so you're I'm, I'm worried that all sides. after three years. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to be worried that after three years I might get sick again. Oh, no. Oh, no. Hopefully not. Fingers crossed, my friend. We'll have to take a week off if that's not the case. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. But we've. Uh, I, I feel like it's funny because we're similar. Like we're on the same train. Like I feel like all my kids... 
like got sick at the same time. So we were with family for the holidays and, and thankfully nobody, you know, nobody had COVID whatever. So we were still able to get together and that was wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of my nephews did show up with a cough and they were like, no, we tested him. Like he's negative for COVID, but he does have this cough. And we're like, okay, well, you know, whatever. Like we still really all wanted to be able to see each other, which was great. Um, but we came home and all of my kids within the week had coughs, right? So mm-hmm. <laughs> thankfully again, yeah. no COVID, but it's like, I feel like our immune systems are kind of like really like weakened, like nobody can get away with not Pretty getting shot, sick yeah. because we, because we haven't been yeah. around people that much for, for a while, you know? So you're just mm-hmm. catching up with all the sickness that you haven't had for, for a little while here. So anyway, but, uh, yeah. we're mostly over it. So I'm glad, I'm glad for that. I'm feeling, feeling good. pretty good. Yeah. Well, hey, man, it's uh, we didn't get to record last time because of what I just mentioned, which was that we were in Ohio for Thanksgiving with my family last time as uh, this recording rolled around. So um, took a little bit of a week off there and it's been, uh, you know, how holiday times are. And uh, we actually do yeah. have a special episode coming up, which will hopefully make up for some of that on the 18th in two weeks. We will be recording our North Meets South Meets Dads and Dev Meets Chris Gamir Meets TJ Miller Christmas extravaganza podcast extraordinaire something yeah. I don't know something like that <laughs> and so that's always a Christmas annual tradition for us I'm looking forward to that man like there's so many fun things that I've tried to figure out what we can do like I want to have like trivia I want to have like a soundboard I want to have like a whole setup man I'm really excited but I don't know exactly what I'm going to do yet but I don't know like last you got two weeks to figure it exactly, out exactly exactly I got two weeks to figure it out I got to load up some load up some stuff and uh, hopefully it'll be really fun really fun show people can join in live and and watch along and play along maybe that'd be fun so yeah we'll see what we can come up Mm -hmm. with yeah so um we've had some uh some changes going on over on your side of things and uh, we're gonna talk a little bit about that today and then also we are going to talk about i don't want to give it away too much so we're going to talk about a specific problem that one of our friends in cash money co-work was having and sort of some different solutions you can come into around that also, there was one other thing I wanted to mention, which was that there is another podcast called No Compromises, not to be confused with No Plans to Merge. Have you heard of this one? It's Joel and Aaron. Yeah, Joel and Aaron. I listen to that one. I like. I do. I like. I like the cut of their jib. I do too. It's really good. Um, so Joel is actually a Laracon Bloomington dude. So he comes down to Laracon <laughs> uh, whenever we, or he comes down to Bloomington whenever we do Laracon like meetups down there. And so he's been like a faithful member the last three or four times we've had it. Uh, he usually brings down like some Wisconsin cheese and beef jerky because he's just that that type of guy, you know, just a good dude. And um, he also goes to Longhorn PHP every year, I know. Um, and I think he presented at Longhorn PHP this year, which is pretty cool. Uh, but yeah, it's a really good podcast. There's some really, really cool topics they talk about on there. And I feel like they do a really great job. Thank so. You. They keep them short and they're they're informative as well. Like they they come into their podcast with a plan, whereas we kind of just wing it. Yeah, exactly. I know. Exactly. Yeah, but they do they do they do a really great job, and so I've learned a lot. And I actually have just been listening to them on like you know, I've been I've been catching up with all the episodes I haven't listened to. Um, so if you're looking for another podcast to sort of fill your time, uh, check those guys out. They they do a really great job. Maybe we should have them on sometime. Just talk. That'd be fun. Maybe, maybe. There's some old web devs, though, who have seen some things. So who knows if they're, uh, you know, I don't know if this is too late for them. You know, 1030. Oh, boy. On a Saturday Possibly. night. Possibly. Yeah. <laughs> I'll get in touch with Joel and see what what uh, what his timeline looks like for for that. So, hey, man, tell me what's going on with uh, employment with Dorinda over in uh, the AU. Mm. Yeah. So I, I finished up at my 
what was my current job, I suppose, uh, last last week. So I've I've been off off work for a week and uh, starting a a new job on the fourth of January. So I'm Very leaving exciting. Telco after the better part of my entire fifteen year career and going to try my hand in fintech. So yeah, that's it was funny. Cool, I was I was joking. I went I went to the this new company's Christmas party on Friday night oh, nice. and was and was joking with them because they've actually been trying to get get me to take a meeting with them for three years, like three years to the day, I think it was that, that I've, that they first messaged me where I event, you know, finally, um, accepted a a position with them. So I'm going to be going over there as a technical lead and helping them out with their, with their platform. So they do, um, asset finance, mortgage broking, things like that, but they do that for, for the brokers. So they have a, they do, they do B2C. Um, so business to consumer okay. where they're doing lending or they're, they're, they're not a lender themselves, but they sort of aggregate all the different lenders here in Australia. Sure. Sounds like a, like a lending the other part of the- sort of deal almost like what we have, like they'll kind of search around for the best like loan for you mm-hmm. sort of deal. Yep. Gotcha. Yep. Yep. That's exactly, exactly what it is. And then, so that's, that's one part of it, which was the, you know, the original part of the business where they built that out. And then the, the new part of the business now is is the bit that I'm going into sort of help focus on is the B2B side of things, which is the sort of the business to business, the you know, facilitating for the 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 brokers and, and that kind of stuff itself. So if you've ever if you've ever had to apply for a loan, I don't I, I don't know if this is the same over there because your banking system is a little bit further along than what ours is, but okay. for us there's a lot of paperwork, there's a lot of manual stuff. You've got to fill out forms, you've got to provide all of your like proof of proof of income and things like sure. that. You've got to list out all of your assets and liabilities and expenses and that kind of stuff. And all of that's very manual. Um, and if you're going through a broker, particularly for a for a home loan, you know the the broker's like, I need you to fill all this out, and then you need to get it back to the broker, and then the broker needs to check it, and then send it back to you, and then you need to send it back to them, and then they send it, you know, onto whichever lender it is. Yeah. So this is basically bringing that entire process online. And so the 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 broker then goes. You know, says here's here's your link. Fill out all of the stuff, and then because it's all online, we make sure that everything is correct ahead of time. So before you can even submit that application, that paperwork back to the broker, we make sure that we've got all of the expenses. We make sure that we've got the employment history. We make sure we've got all of the um, proof of income and all of that kind of stuff. So the process gets much much quicker. It's much more accurate when you're you know obviously verifying all that information without the back and forth and the emails and things like that. So it's a, it's an interesting space. They're um they're quite a big business. They've been around for sort of 10, 12 years. Um and and they're sort of on the cusp of their next big step, which is exciting to be part of. Absolutely. So being part of the the journey over the next sort of 3 to 5 years, hopefully. Um and and then sort of getting in there and and looking at what they've got. So this is probably the most Laravel Laravel that I have seen in the wild in terms of Places that I've worked, yeah, sure. It's and 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 places where like it already exists, That's where I'm coming nice. into it, and it's yeah. already there. Mm-hmm. As opposed to you know my last job where we didn't do any Laravel at all, and, and then the job before that where where part of the process was to bring Laravel into the business and to sort of you know set up that. So th- this is already established, and from what I've seen of their code base and of their platform and all of that, it's it's what you would expect a pure Laravel application to be, you know, everything is where it's supposed to be. Their, their philosophy from their CTO is essentially like, 
whenever we're looking to do something new, we go to the Laravel docs and see like how does Laravel do it, and then we kind of do that. So they they follow the Laravel way, sure, yeah, as it were, to to sort of make sure all of that works. So it'll be a matter of just figuring out where they're at and what gaps they have in terms of that process. So there's some stuff there around like their deployments are still manual, okay, where the CTO will have to log in and they need to you know do all the installation steps. So it'd be bringing in processes pipelines, you know, whatever, Envoy, Envoyer to sort of automate that process just to streamline it to bolster their testing stocks to make sure that they've got coverage over the critical parts of the application and 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 to sort of work directly with the the chief product officer, the CTO to kind of add features to the business and and the application and then also to to lead the the offshore dev team. So they have a team of I think five or six developers in the Philippines that have that have helped build out their platform over the last couple of years. So it'll be interesting. It'll be getting back into sort of that leadership space that, exactly. that I left yeah. and thought yep. that I didn't want to do. Right. But turns out it is what I want to do. Um and and to sort of, you know, have a little bit more oversight over what's happening. I think when you um, and 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 being part of that process. So yeah, I think when yeah, looking you forward do to do step back into sort of that like pure Laravel space, I think there's a couple of things. I think Number one, a business that does that really gains a lot of momentum uh, just by the nature of doing it that way because you open the doors to being able to use offshore developers, whether it's in the Philippines or whether it's in India or whether it's wherever, really. Mm-hmm. Anybody that has used yep. Laravel can step into an app like that and just immediately, not immediately be effective, but you know, a lot more quickly be effective than it would be if it was like yeah. some combination Frankenstein diversion of like, uh, you know, and again, I mean, there are use cases for using stuff other than Laravel for sure. But like when you are able to sort of just keep it pure Laravel, it makes it way, way, way faster to onboard a new developer. Because like you said, you can just go look at the docs and how does this work? Go look yeah. at the docs. You don't have to yeah, rewrite we, I, the docs. You, it, it's already there. Yeah. And we've spoken about this on on the show before. You know, the the more like Laravel it is, the less time you spend having to onboard people into your code base right. and more time teaching them about the business. Yeah, yeah. So when when I went in there and had a look at what they had, I was like, okay, so this is Laravel, so teach me about your product. You know, that that For was sure. the yep, exactly. that was Done the main part. Right. Um so I mean my only reservation is is that it's a it's a separate I don't know if it's in a mono repo necessarily. I didn't look that closely at it, but it's a separate view SPA okay. and a Laravel backend. Yeah, sure. Uh, API. So it, I mean Half of the course for Laravel, it's it's fairly standard to to do something like that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so you know th- th- that's the only thing. So I'll, I'll have to pick up Vue after two three years and uh, get get back into that. So the good news is um, there's yeah, lots looking, of wonderful for tools for I mean both of those stacks and they work together really well, right? Mm-hmm. So you've got like yeah Enzyme or I guess even Jest you could probably use for I think you can can you kind of shoehorn Jest in with like Vue? Can you do that or is there a different tool for that? I think so. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know if Just was just, just react. Yeah, you know, firing it up. Yeah, and... sure. Yep. And so you got that. Yeah. And you've got all your wonderful so... stuff for for Laravel, whether it's Pest or PHP Unit or whatever you whatever have you. Yeah. So I am mm-hmm. curious that you said like, you know, one of the things you said is when you're coming on, like, you know, you want to sort of bolster some of the tests. Um, it has been mm-hmm. interesting for me. We've been looking to hire another developer again. And the people that I interview, a lot of them are like, hey, how long have you been working in Laravel? Oh, man, I've been working in Laravel since like, whew, I don't like version three, version four. Like, okay, great. And like, you know, what what would you say is your strongest skill? What would you say is your weakest? And like, I've had two or three of them of like the three. Well, I guess I've only interviewed three in the last couple of days. 
Um, but like all three of them were like, yeah, testing. I'm just not strong at testing. Like I, you know, I've only maybe mm-hmm. done a little bit of that. And I'm like, seriously, like you've been working with PHP and Laravel for like six years and you don't do tests. Like what in the world? Yeah, it's, I mean, Laravel was probably the the, the simplest of all of the PHP ecosystem to get started for with sure. testing. It's, for it's sure. kind of a, it's, it's definitely a first class citizen in Laravel. Yeah. But the other, the other side of that coin, because Laravel is really good at being a, a rapid application development mm-hmm. tool. Mm-hmm. A lot of the time you just hit the ground running and you just start building stuff and building stuff and building stuff and you never never circle back. And I know that Muhammad, he's a big proponent of like write the thing, make it work, then go back and and, and write the tests. Um, I know that, you know, Frake and I think even Frake kind of does the, the whole spike and stabilize and then go back and write the test in, in some situations. But, you know... We've we've got people like well I mean not Adam you know long live Adam Wadden who's <laughs> he's just the CSS guy now but right, um, right. you know he was a big proponent of testing and things like that and and TDD is so prevalent in our community but just seeing a lot of the the people that that Nuno retweets talking about pest and how they're like you know I'm I'm taking pest for a spin and I'm I'm writing my first test and things like that it's it's super common in spite of testing being a first class citizen in the in the Laravel yeah, ecosystem I think it's, for people to not do it. And that's why, you know, JMac has got the the test the test generator yeah. as as a shift that you can run to to kind of get you up and running to inspect your Laravel applications and kind of build all that stuff out for you so that you've got a starting point. Absolutely, which is really I mean, so for any of you who don't know who JMac is, that's the guy who wrote Laravel Shift. And so um the shift that he has will essentially write out these tests for you uh, but it will then mark all of them as skipped so when you run your tests it's just going to put s in there for that one it's not going to fail it's just going to say skipped and no big deal but then what you can do is you can go back into those tests later and you can get them to work so you could say hey you know what i'm going to i'm going to run this shift i'm going to let it generate all these tests for me that i'm going to skipped and then every week I'm going to take the time to write out the tests for one of the controllers, right? I'm just going to go through the different mm-hmm. methods with this controller, and I'm just going to write the tests to make sure that this is going to work, right? And um, that's super valuable, and it doesn't take that much time, and it's a great way to essentially, it doesn't lower the barrier, it almost eliminates the barrier to entry when it comes to tests because it writes them for you, right? Um, and so I think it could be a really good way for people to get started with it, even if all it's doing is just checking to make sure. And this is like, I, I can't remember the guy who wrote, who uh, put this out there on Twitter. Um, it's a dude who works with, is it Livewire? I think it's Livewire. And he has like this, uh, or no, maybe it's Alpine. And he has like this, uh, a couple different plugins and stuff that he's made for it. Regardless. Anyway, he said, you know, even if all you're doing is just writing a test that says, make sure I get a 200 when I hit this route, right? Just that inspires mm-hmm. some confidence so that when you add a new page, you add a new test that just says, can I get a 200 when I hit this? Yes. And then you run your unit tests before you ship and just make sure you can get 200s on any of those pages. That's that's almost, you know, it's better than nothing for sure. But then from there... Um, yeah, it's better than introducing like a typo to that page or something totally. inadvertently which, when you're working happens. on it. And at least you know that the page still works. Yeah. Absolutely, right? You for get sure. a syntax error in there or whatever, and now that page is blowing up and and then it stops working, right? So... Um, yeah, these, these sort of, uh, you know, Adam almost talked about these things as this is some, it's not exactly the same. It's, it's sort of related though. So 
you know, like when you're getting started making products, a tripwire product, right? Something that you can just get somebody mm-hmm. to buy one time, like something that's like five bucks, right? It takes, doesn't take a ton of time to build. It's just, you're just getting something to buy some, you're just getting someone to buy something from you, right? It's like a really quick win, right? And that's the same idea with this. It's like, just get a couple quick wins under your belt and you're going to feel a lot more comfortable um, getting started, right? And I think Pest does also do the same thing. Pest sort of lowers the barrier to entry mm-hmm. and it says like, oh, you don't need to remember to write use refresh database at the top of your test or spend an hour trying to figure out why it's saying that table doesn't exist. You know, it's just Pest just handles it. It'll just run it for you sort of deal. Um, yep. So it's cool. It's cool. It's it's good to hear that there's more adoption being, have, being um, you know, of tests being done. Uh, but I think, yeah, JMX says like 18% of the things that he shifts have tests like 18 mm-hmm. percent it's like nothing you know very very little so i know three of the apps that i regularly put through shift have basically no tests yeah. they've because they, they i mean they've been around since i think they're 2000 circa 2015 16 within when they were built and some of the stuff that i've added since then i've like i've put past into it and i've i've added tests for the new stuff but i haven't really gone back on onto the old stuff because it's it's really badly written code <laughs> And so I just keep waiting because like every year, because it's like a once a year application that they run. So every year they're like, oh yeah, we'll, we'll revisit it next year and we'll rewrite it. And they never, never, end up never have it. the time. So hopefully, yeah, exactly. Yep. I hear you. So anyway, not to shame anybody who doesn't do tests. This is just an encouragement to be like, Hey, it's let's do, do some, just do a couple. Right. And I understand like I'm in a very privileged position where the person I report to was also the guy that I started the development team with at my organization. So Jordan Brill, you know who he is. He highly values these sorts of things, right? So I don't have to sell him on anything. Like if I didn't write yeah. it with tests, he'd be like, where are the tests at? Right. So I, I that's I'm I'm in a huge advantage because I don't have to justify the time I'm taking to write tests. He would say like yeah. why would there not why would there not be tests there, right? Um mm-hmm. and so yeah, it's it's a pretty great uh spot to be in. Uh but it's it's hard. It's fairly find... common as well to hear that, to hear that kind of story from people that like, oh, you know, my boss doesn't won't give us time to write the test or anything like that. Um, and and it sounds like the same kind of thing here. And I said, well, you don't tell them that you're writing tests. You just make sure that your estimates include the, the time tests, it takes yeah, to sure. write those tests. Um, because it's it's going to save you so much more time down down the road. So you don't say I need this much time to to write tests and this much time to write the code. You just say it's going to take whatever that time is to do it and then you know just do the test and i think that's it's our it's on it's on us as developers to to kind of make sure that the code we're writing is is reliable and durable and 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 things like that and then you know you're obviously not going to encounter you're not going to catch every single edge case when you're building out a new piece of functionality as long as when it comes time to fix a bug with that functionality because the bug will happen it's it's a matter of when not if as long as you're writing the test for that failing case and then fixing it to make sure that A, it is fixed and B, you don't accidentally break it again in future, then you're doing your job as a developer. It's not up to your employer to, you know, it shouldn't be up to your employer to tell you how to write code. You know, testing is just part of writing code. And I think that would be my only argument for doing the testing while you're doing the development, right? Instead of waiting until afterwards, because then the big temptation is, I've got this deadline and like, I don't have any tennis tests written yet. It's okay. I'll just ship this feature. It'll be fine. Right. And mm-hmm. so, and, and, and I'm not sure if that's necessarily what Muhammad is proposing. Cause I get what he's saying where it's like, I, there'll be a lot of times where I sort of spike out the base functionality and then like, okay, once I get to a part where I'm like, this is a little bit complicated here, then I start putting in some tests or whatever. Like I, I get that. Like there are some things I don't 
have to test because I don't need to test that the framework works, right? I just need to test that the code that I'm writing with the framework works. So um, mm-hmm. anyway, yeah, we can we can get off that train if we want. But I'm excited that uh, you'll be able to kind of uh, get back to a spot where you're going to be using Laravel on a regular basis. I know that that feels mm-hmm. that feels like home. You know, it feels like a warm blanket to your soul. Just like yeah, it'll be good. <laughs> snuggle up with some Laravel and just like the 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 freelance stuff that I've been doing for you. I, I even went to Ray and I said, gee, I really miss writing PHP and Laravel. <laughs> like I, I really miss working with Laravel and just like the freedom that it gives you the, all of the stuff, like all of the bits and pieces that it includes, the validation, the request response stuff, all of that, that you just don't need to worry about that I was crafting by hand, yeah. you know, yeah. when I was encountering a missing piece, like rebuilding it essentially. So we had it. So it's just, I think, I think people that, that subscribe to a, a sunk cost fallacy in in terms of like, you know, we've we spent so much time building this and we've used it for so long. Why would we change and, and, and all that kind of stuff? They kind of miss out on how much more they could be doing in the same amount of time when they don't have to worry about all of the, the security stuff and the authentication and the authorization and 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 like handling responses and returning JSON and, and and all that kind of stuff. Like when you when you get rid of the stuff that you don't need to to focus on, that's not unique to your application, and and just really knuckle down on on your business and your business needs and the goals. Then there's like whether it's Laravel or it's Symphony or it's you know Rails in Ruby or or you know whatever in Python, Django in Python. Like it doesn't matter. What language? There's frameworks available for all of them, really, or for the for the main ones, the main web ones. I can't I can't really see why. I mean, I can understand bringing components together. Sure, you know, bringing your own Symphony components together and and building your own implementations of PR seven interfaces and things like that that you can ship around and reuse. But academically, that sounds like a good idea for a business. I think. You know, if if you've got a if you've got a business that's like we don't have time to write tests, then how do you how is that the same business that also doesn't you know that has time? Sorry, if you have a if you have a business that doesn't have to write tests, how is that the same kind of business that has the time to kind of build the world from scratch every mm, time? Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. That's a really good point. Oh man, yeah, I I, I don't know. I, I feel like I remember that world, and it was so painful. Oh, it was just so bad. <laughs> and it, you didn't know what yeah. you didn't know, right? That was the other scary part is it's like, man, I sure hope I'm doing this right. And like, I, I hope <laughs> I don't have to wake up one morning and find out I wasn't doing it right. Because, you know, with, with something that's open source, you get a whole bunch of other smart people or people that are a lot smarter than you solving those problems. And that Adam Wadden literally just said this on, on Twitter. He said, like, the one really cool thing about having Tailwind CSS out there is that people are using it that are a lot smarter than me and they're really happy to contribute to make it better. And it's just awesome, right? And yeah. so I feel like I get that wonderful benefit in Laravel as well. Just, you know, I can't remember the name of that guy was. That's that security tester dude who was talking about all that stuff that we talked on uh, Laravel News about last mm-hmm. time. But, you mm-hmm. know, people like that yeah, who have this expertise with like, um, you know, ethical hacking almost, but you get the benefit of those people being able to look at the Laravel code and be like, I don't think that's actually secure. And then they fix it. And so it's just great. It's great. Mm-hmm. Hey, so with that out of the way, uh, I thought maybe we could spend just a couple minutes talking about this other issue that uh, TJ brought up. TJ Miller, our good buddy, TJ Miller, Mr. Six Live. Um, 
and maybe some possible solutions for how this could work. So I can talk about my particular um, brand of this, and then we can talk about how how TJ was was looking to do this. But um, well, let's just start with TJ's version. So basically, here's the question that TJ asked. He said, let's see if I can get down to it. Uno momento. Uno momento. Okay, here's what he says. So let's say I have an app with two types of users. We have customer and merchant. How would I best set this up? I was thinking having a normal user model and table and then having a customer and a merchant table that then extends the user uh, and then have like a relationship between the two or I could have a type column on the user or I could just do some sort of like role privileges stuff and attach a role to the user as well. And that might be a good way. So he was just looking around like, how how can I do this, right? What, what is the best way to do this? So I thought we could kind of discuss these different these different methods and pros and cons. And then, um, you know, you've also talked about, or we, we talked about a little bit before the show about how you guys were doing this previously. And then we can talk about this package uh, that sort of helps. It's like a cheat code to the whole thing, I feel like. And is a method, is, is a mm-hmm. uh, package that we've used before, I've used before in a project of mine. Uh, so what, what's your take on this, Michael? So you have two different types of users, customer and merchant. What's your What's your take on it? Uh, I mean, if it's if it's a customer and a merchant, and it's always just going to be a customer and merchant, then probably just the the flag on the table field. Really, mm-hmm. um, it depends on on how you're breaking up the the application and whether or not there's significance in terms of like a customer logs into a customer portal and a merchant logs into a merchant portal. Um, if there's restrictions around what they can and can't see based on that type, but I don't think like you could build policies around the user type, for example, even. That's true. Um, that would be pretty easy, actually. And, yeah. and that, that makes it pretty simple. So Yeah, um, it, it, I think it does. Like a lot of this, the answer to this question does depend upon what the application needs are. If all you need to do is just be able to differentiate between two user types and that's it, that's, then you're fine. The, the question, mm-hmm. I think, becomes like how much behavior is attached to the fact that they're a merchant or the fact that they're a, a customer, right? Is there additional behavior that is attached to these, not just permission level, but behavior so like are there custom are are you going to have to check a like when you're calling a method on this user are you going to have to check to see if they're a merchant or if they're a customer inside of that method and then do different behavior based on that because if that's the case then you sort of do enter this other realm where i feel like it makes it worth it to talk about what we're going to talk about right um and so in the case where i'm talking about this that would be the situation right i have a customer i have a merchant and the behavior that is going to be expected for each of those particular um, classes, uh, you might say, um, is going to be significantly different. And I would like to be able to just call the method on the thing and not have to do additional, mm-hmm. an additional conditional check, right? So essentially, when I retrieve a user out of the database, I would like to not ever have to check again what it is like is it a customer is it a merchant i would like the application to just know which type i'm dealing with and automatically interpret my requests mm-hmm. to those to those things uh in a way that is just transparent to me as the developer right yeah yeah and so yeah and so this is this is this idea of um polymorphism so polymorphism i know remember for me was a very a very odd concept when i first uh was learning about it but essentially what it is, is it allows you to take the values inside of a database uh, record 
and then pair that with a type column, which contains the type of class. You can think of it almost as a class cast, if you will, for a database record. So what it will do is when you retrieve a record out of the database, it will look at the type column. It will look at what class is assigned there. And then it will attempt to cast those attributes to that particular class. And then it will use that class as you're referencing that record, right? So you may have different types of um, users, like we have in this case, customers and merchant. And then in that type column, what you'd have is you just have the customer class, and then you'd have the merchant class. Um, and so this is this is kind of what polymorphism does, is you just have this morph, uh, this morph map, right, you might call it. And instead of referencing the class specifically, you can reference a string and then it'll do exactly what we just said, which is basically when you retrieve it out of the database, it will go ahead and uh, cast it to that class. And then you have all the methods and the behavior that is on that uh, class available to you without having to check, is it a customer or is it, or is it a merchant? You look like you're messing with something over there. Is your camera falling down? <laughs> yeah. My... um. Sorry, my sister tried calling me and hijacked my camera. Oh, no. Now my camera won't come back. Oh, no. So. <laughs> bummer, bummer. That's all right. Please continue. Okay. Yeah, no problem. So that's that's kind of where I'm at with this. Um, and so there's this additional sort of layer of this. Um, and I, I'm trying to remember exactly how this works because it has been so long since I've dealt with this. Uh, but there's polymorphism and then there is uh, single table inheritance, Right. And this is sort of, um, this is where I get fuzzy on stuff. Uh, have you dealt with this in particular? Like, have you ever used this package? It's so funny because like, I'm like, this is the package I used. It solved all my problems. And then I'm coming back to the package and I'm like, single table inheritance. What is that again? Right. Um, <laughs> and I think maybe so. So in the case of what I was talking about before the polymorphism, I feel like, is that typically a relationship? Do you usually call that as a relationship? Yeah, so polymorphism is like you'd have the the user, but then you'd have a delegate of some description, which would then go and get what the underlying model is. So you would still have a morph to like you would still have a customer model and a table and a and a merchant model and table. Everything would be a user, and then you would like reach through that relationship to get whatever the the entity is. I suppose. Oh, thank you. That's right. Um, that's that's the difference. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So you whereas go ahead, you go on. Um, so like in my in the instance where I used polymorphic relationships, what I actually had is I had a forms table, and then I had uh, so like basically in our in our organization we have. So we're gonna rewind this a little bit, folks. So let me try and clarify here because I just my my brain is sort of uh, back to where it should be. So the. The situation that I have in my in my company is that I have um, this paperless forms is what we call it. So we have a bunch of different forms that people need to fill out, whether it's for HR or it's like a building service request, like, hey, the you know paper towel dispenser in the men's bathroom is broken, or the light above my cubicle is out, or the sidewalk needs salted, whatever it is, right? Like that's a building service mm-hmm. request, or hey, I need the I need information about my benefits, or uh, we need to reactivate an old claim that a customer just called in about or, uh, you know, whatever you might have. So all these different forms. 
But I need to be able to keep track of at a high level, like all of those forms, because I need to be able to see what forms particular users submitted. And then each of those forms is sort of dispatched to a different group in the company to be handled. So I have a top level forms table. But then I also have all of the data that belongs to each one of those specific forms. So a building service request, a file reactivation request, a document restore request, and all of those are different tables, right? So at the top level, you have the Mm -hmm. form, uh, and then you have the uh, form ID, and then you have the form type. And so then what you can do is I say form, and then I say arrow sub form which is sort of like the relationship there. And then what it'll do is it will uh, allow me to retrieve that uh, that actual uh, form that was filled out, right? So the building service request. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, the, that's that polymorphic relationship. The one that I was talking about uh, where it just automatically casts it to a class is this single table inheritance. So that's, yeah. that's the uh, package that Caleb Porzio created like four years ago, something like that. I remember him and mm-hmm. Daniel talking about this for, for like, I think two or three episodes um, yeah. at one time. So we can talk about this a little yeah, bit. Yeah, so single, 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 I mean, single table inheritance is having different types or different variants of the same thing. So where the polymorphic is a descendant of the, the foreign, like the parent record. Um, so in your example, you've got the form and then you've got the subform with, with polymorphism and then you can have different types of subform. With the single table inheritance, everything is a form in your example or everything in the, in this specific instance is a user. So everything goes into the user's table. Everything is a user, but they have, um, you know, child element or child models themselves that reference back to that. So you would have a merchant model and you would have a customer model, but they would all belong to the, the user's table in this instance. Um, and so that would extend from the user model. They'd get all of the behaviors of the user model. They'd be authorizable, authenticatable, notifiable, all of that kind of stuff. Um, but essentially this, this means that you can call like admin first or, you know, you could, you could query that table from the admin model, uh, from the, the merchant model or the customer model. Um, and so that, that gives you the ability to, to sort of keep everything in the same table but have different instances. So you, you'd still have to do your instance objects. Um, to see, you know, like, is this a merchant or is this a customer? But you can encapsulate all of that in a policy. You can do all that kind of stuff in decorators. You could, um, you know, have the user model delegate and say, like, can this user do this thing? And then it would just delegate down to the, the like, the specific type of user and then figure out, like, hey, is this a merchant? Can they be here kind of thing? So shoving that all into the same table rather than having... Um, and, and, it, and it's solving different problems, I think, to, to what polymorphism does. I think the, the classic example, the one, there's a, I'll see if I can dig up on, on Adam Weiland's website. He's got an article using, like pushing, pushing behavior to the database and then talking about doing like coupons. Mm, yeah. um, and then mm-hmm. saying like you could have like a, a percent off coupon and a, and a dollar coupon and a dollar discount coupon and things like that. And I've leveraged that sort of behavior quite a bit at my two jobs ago, I suppose, when we put together our uh, our discount system okay. in terms of like when you sign up, you could enter a, a voucher code and that would give you like $5 off for six months. And that's like a type, that's a distinct type. Or you've got like a, a once off, $50 off credit, you know, buy, buy this particular router and you can get $50 off 
And as all of these things have like an apply method on them. And so when you want to, to do anything in terms of processing that discount, you would call the, the specific, like there would be a relationship, you call the relationship, which would then return an instance of the, the polymorphic model and then call apply, which is defined on that distant model. And it would do whatever it needs to do to the, you know, to the, the cost. So if you pass in $100 and, you, and then you say apply to this model, it would then say, okay, well, I need to do this as a once-off and I'll apply a $50 credit. So that $100 becomes 50 or, you know, it's $100 per month and we need to add a discount. And so when you apply, it will go and create a discount in a, in a discounts table and things like that. So I think that, that kind of hopefully explains the scenario there. I know, it is, but, it is um, a bit muddy, isn't it? Like even as I'm talking about... It is a bit muddy without, yeah. Yeah, right. Without, without like the visuals, it's, it's harder to... It's always harder to explain. Daniel and Caleb are much better at explaining things or orally. Yeah, I've, I've noticed than we are. We we kind of just glaze over it. But um, yeah, I think in in this particular instance, to circle back to to TJ's original issue, um, the the, the parental package and then the, and the single table inheritance would would probably get him most of the way. You know, especially if it's only a couple of records. There's no there's no need to complicate it with roles and abilities and permissions and all of that kind of stuff that you know is another layer on top. You know, you could just have users that have roles and, and define them that way, but it depends on how complex you want to get. If you literally just want to have a customer and a merchant, well, they can all be, um, you know, users of type customer or user of type merchant and and handle it that way. So, yeah, so that's how I would do it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And, and so this is, um, you know, in Caleb's explanation of what this parental package does, it basically allows you to have a user model and then extend that model with a class that called, uh, and let's just use TJ's example, you'd have customer and merchant, right? So customer would extend user, merchant would extend user, but both of those reference the exact same table, which is the user table, right? And so when you call mm-hmm. customer colon colon first or merchant colon colon first, they're both referencing the user table, Right. That's mm-hmm. what they're referencing is that one And they've table. just got scope supplied based on the time. You got it. Exactly right. Exactly right. And so you are able to basically store it all in the same format, uh, but you have different models that you can use to reference that one table, which is pretty cool. Um, and so, yeah, I've used this in a couple different places. I don't think it was specifically for this. I think it was for something else. I think it was, uh, I think it was like we had different types of refunds but all of them were so mm-hmm. similar. They just needed a different type, right? And I just needed to be able to store them in this one table. So instead of like, hey, I didn't want to create like three different types of tables. They're all so closely similar. I just wanted this one table and I just wanted to be able to reference them by their class name. And so instead of creating three separate tables, I created one refund table. And then now I could just, um, you know, use the individual uh, models that I had that created, or sorry, that extended that one base refund uh, model that ba- that race that refund table right so i had like a overcharge refund or i had like a um under uh, what was it there was like an underpayment or there was an overcharge or there was like a late payment or some refund or something like that there was like two or three different types of refunds and again there was like one column different between most of them but like 90 95% of everything else was the exact same um so instead of trying to keep those columns in sync across three separate tables because that's always the thing for me right it's like that's the worry Mm -hmm. as i'm always like i know that most of this has to be the same so instead of trying to sync those across those three different tables with just small differences keep it in the same table and just make a couple extra columns that the other ones don't the the other ones aren't going to use um and ended up working out pretty well so 
Good luck to you, TJ. I hope that works out for you. It was funny because he messaged that this morning. It was like at nine o'clock and I had um, I had a, a message all typed out. And then I was like, we have family pictures. Let's like, let's go. We got to get the kids out of here. I'm like, dang it. That's right. I totally <laughs> forgot. And so I'm like rushing out the door. And then TJ later messaged, uh, I guess this is what I need with Caleb's package. And I was like, thank God you found that because that was exactly what I was going to suggest. It works super well. So nice job. Nice work. Thanks, Caleb. Uh, causing, uh, you know, giving us uh, wonderful things even uh, four years ago. And he's updated as of two months ago, looks like. Or Steve King did anyway. Nice. Yes, yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. All right, man. Well, hey, listen, that's about all I have. Uh, anything else you wanted to talk about before we wrap this one up? No, well, I was hoping my new MacBook would be here today. Oh, but, yes. Uh, it, it took a... It took a detour from Sydney to Melbourne before it comes here. So hopefully tomorrow or Tuesday I'll see it turn up, assuming we don't close our borders because we were... Who knows, right? We were we were supposed... So Australia is opening up again for domestic travel and we're starting to let some people internationally filter in. But the, the goal for, for South Australia was when we get to 80% double vaxxed, which they expected to be the 23rd of November, we'd open our borders. November 23 rolled around, we opened our borders, but we were only at like 78% vaxxed. So it was never really about the percentage. Apparently it was just like, let's just pick a date and go there. We were, we were like a week behind. I think we're at 80% now. But realistically, you know, we've we've been very shielded from the, the rest of the country in terms of um, we're a bit more spread out. We're not as as densely populated as Sydney and Melbourne um, and, and to a lesser extent Brisbane. So we haven't really been affected too much by by at least infection in the community you know we've had cases here and there but we've never seen really more than nine i think we've had 90 cases in the entire uh, sorry 900 i think it was 900 cases maybe in the in the entire 18 months where victoria was seeing 900 1000 1100 a day recently you know in the last couple of months so um i think we're we're less kind of worried about the case numbers now because the you know it was a worry 18 months ago because we had no vaccine we had no like no protection against covid whatsoever and so you know a thousand people get sick 30 percent of them end up in hospital well we're, we're something like four icu beds per thousand people so you can see how that very quickly, quickly becomes a problem yeah, exactly. whereas, whereas whereas now you know we might have eight nine hundred a thousand cases a day but the expectation is there's you know much maybe a hundred people yeah would go to would get sick enough to go to hospital. So I think because we were so lucky as a nation um to you know because we're on an island miles away from everyone else it was it was very easy for us to become fixated on on covid zero which was never realistic. Like there's always people who've got the flu, there's always people that have got something. You, you it's, right. it's just never going to be zero. And I think we've become so fixated on on zero that we get nine cases and it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, let's slam the border shut again and, you know, coming up to Christmas and, you know, people have made plans to come and visit um, and then they're changing rules around quarantine. Like, you've got to come, you've got to quarantine for seven days or 14 days, depending on if you're double vaxxed or not and things like that. So it's getting a bit murky. Um, and, like, the fear that I have is, you know, with, with two kids under five that can't be vaccinated, it's like, well, I don't – I try and limit my exposure. I try not to go too many places and do too many things because because I'm double vaxxed. So – I could pick it up somewhere, bring it home. Ray and I won't be affected, and then suddenly I've got two kids that could be sick. Right? That, like I wouldn't even know I was carrying exactly. it until they get sick, yep. kind of thing. So, um, th- you know, this is this is the worry that we have. Hopefully, um, I think the the uh, the FTA has like 
has approved Pfizer now for uh, five, younger kids, no, yep. six, six to eleven or five to eleven or something like yep. that. So um, hopefully that, that that should hopefully be coming January. So hopefully under fives won't be too far off. I think the the main thing now is just figuring out what the actual dose is, like how much they they give to kids that young, that small. Um, in terms of giving them some coverage, hopefully there's you know enough people vaccinated that they get a bit of protection from it. But um, you know we've got <laughs> everyone started running around with their arms in the air like because Omicron is around now, and it's that you know we've had I think we've got like a handful of cases here, but they're all in hotel quarantine and things like that. So it's not not too bad. But the there's like mixed reports that it's it's way more transmissible, but it's not as infectious. Like you don't get as sick from it. But they're seeing like because because kids under 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 five are the ones that are basically got, got no protection whatsoever. They're the ones that are ending up in hospitals at the moment. So mm. I think I've said it before, like I'm already 34. If I get it now and I have long COVID, well, it's, you know, it's half my life that I have to live with it. But a three-year-old and a one-year-old, if they get it now, that's like their entire lives. They have to live with whatever complications might come from that, that we, you know, that we don't know obviously because it's only been two years. So that is that is the fear that... That we live with, we wake up with every day, yep. and now you know they've got laryngitis. So it's bad enough. Like exactly. <laughs> having a sore throat for a few days is bad enough. Like the fortunately they're sleeping through the night, but they're just very clingy and and um, needy during the day. It makes makes things a bit difficult. And it so. doesn't. And so then, you know, as a result of all those things, of course, like yeah, the MacBook. It's like everybody's like the least of their worries is like getting your MacBook to your house. But right. that sucks <laughs> for you because you've got to wait for your MacBook to get there. Yeah. I've been enjoying my M1 Max yeah. the last couple of weeks and it's been wonderful. So I'm excited for you to get yours. Um, the battery life is just ridiculous. So pretty awesome. Looking forward to it. See how it goes. Because I got the 16. You got the 14 inch, yeah? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love it, man. The small yeah. form factor is great. It's yeah. really, really sweet. See how there. I, one, of, one of the guys that was working in the office that I went into, I, I went and caught up with them this week and uh, he's got the, he got the 14 inch Max and that thing is is a hefty little. It little is. Guy. It really it's, is. Yeah, it's, it's pretty heavy. Yep. Well, there's nothing in it. Like it's like all of the. I mean, the the processor is you know it's, it's all like one chip. It's all solid state. There's no moving parts in it, but it's quite heavy. Like that battery. It's probably just weighs a bit. It's probably literally just one big freaking heat sink. It's really. I mean, the fans never uh-huh. turn on on this thing. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty nice. I'm I'm really enjoying it. So. Cool. Anyway, hey, was this episode 108? Is that where we're at? That's episode it. 108 folks you can find show notes at northmeetsouth.audio slash 108 feel free to rate us up in your podcast of choice five stars is amazing thank you work vivo for being awesome and sponsoring the show for again this year paying helping to pay for another year of hosting uh with our awesome transistor fm folks over there and uh if you'd like to hit us up on twitter at michael Durinda at jacob bennett we'd love to hear it from you and at north south audio Thanks for that on mm-hmm. all right folks we will see you again next time Catch you. bye, bye. 